Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to you, uh, both here in our, our large auditorium over in the summit. Uh, welcome to our 10 o'clock service. <laughs> I'm used to seeing many of you about an hour earlier on uh, this, and some of you, uh, they'll be coming in. The people that normally come in at 1130, it'd be like an hour from now. Uh, but uh, good to have you here. We're excited to be together today, just be seeking the Lord. And uh, so why don't you stand with me? And we want to go into worship together and just uh, invite God's presence. Are you guys ready to go today? Uh, how many of you normally come to the nine o'clock service? See, yeah, there we go. There we go. Welcome. Good to have you. Uh, okay, we've got, uh, yeah, people at 11 o'clock, so they sleep in, and so this is still early for them, because it's like, uh, so they'll, they'll be joining us. So let's go ahead and pray. God, we're just excited to be here today and to be in your presence. Lord, we think of your word in, uh, in Exodus where uh, Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. And that's, that's our battle cry, God. That's, that's how we feel. And so we just thank you that we're here today, that we, we really want to welcome you. We pray that your presence would come in power now. We pray that this would be a time of true encounter. We're not here to go through motions. We're not here to check it off our list. We're here to meet with you. And so we pray that you'd come in power. You'd come in the presence of your spirit. And you'd lead us now from this whole service on. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's our prayer today that you would come and fill this place. God, we desire nothing more than your presence. Jesus, you said when you left that you would not leave us alone, but you would send your spirit who would bring your presence. You would be with us always to the end of the earth. You said that when we gathered in your name, where two or three are gathered, you would be there in the presence. And so, Jesus, whether it's here in our, our uh, large auditorium, whether it's over in the summit, we gather right now. We gather in your name. We gather under the authority of your Holy Spirit. We gather under your leadership as our true King and Messiah. We gather under the authority of your word. And we ask that you would come now and you would speak. You'd speak with authority and power and healing and fresh insight. And we would go out of here different people because we're here. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen. Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you here. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I've got a couple things to share with you. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as we kind of go into this week, a lot going on. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a great week. I'm feeling much better. Thank, for the, uh, thank you to those of you who've been praying for me. I'm not completely out of the woods, but uh, I'm doing much better. Bad news is my wife got what I got, and now she has pneumonia. But other than that, uh, we're doing fine at the yearly household. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else is going on? This has been a great week. If you follow me on Facebook... Uh, which I would encourage. This week I've been uh, kind of tweeting out, Facebooking out uh, pictures of the demolition that's going on over in the, uh, our, our worship center. And uh, that's just exciting to see. And so encourage you to follow along Michael David Yearly on Facebook if you want to do that way. We'll probably post some pictures uh, to the table this week as well. But it's exciting. It's fun over there. JD was saying, what a great job this team had. They're, they're the demolition team, they just get to come in and tear things down every day of their life. Life. Just kind of beat things up, sledgehammers, you know, and uh, they've got these cool machines over there. I've never seen them. You guys in construction, I'm sure have seen these, but it's like this, uh, this big anteater type thing that's like a, uh, that's a, a huge jackhammer and you don't really, you operate it remotely, control things, swing it around, digging up concrete. And so, uh, been a fun week. Uh, next, uh, this next week, uh, you know, God's creating a great heart for us as a church to reach outside our four walls. We do that locally like we did and all serve a couple weeks ago. We do it all around the globe. And this week we're sending a team to Liberia. 
So for the last couple of years, we've been doing exploratory trips to uh, Liberia. It seems like God's opening up a door there. And so if you were here last Easter, uh, yeah, you see the one guy, uh, uh, he's getting his paint ready for Africa. Uh, uh, last year, um, you know, we, at Easter time, you remember we did that uh, water fast where for one week we, we, uh, we, we uh, drank, we didn't drink any beverage other than water. We saved all the money and raised about $30,000 to dig water wells in Liberia. And one of the cool things is uh, we're partnering with churches over there that are planning churches in new areas. And, and because of that water well thing that we did, we were able to plant, a, do, a drill two water wells in new communities without a church. And then the, uh, the, these teams are able to go in and use that as the impetus to share the gospel. And churches are there now. And so we've been able to help build churches there, put roofs on there. And so uh, their greatest need in Liberia right now is for training for their pastors. So they've asked us to come over and we're going to be be doing training uh, this week. Uh, their, their team's leaving on Thursday, coming for 11 days, and they're going to be doing uh, about 60 pastors are coming in from around the nation. We're going to be doing training. Our, eye, our eyeglass ministry team is going in. They're going to be doing uh, creating eyeglasses for the poor who don't have, can't, can't see. And of course, you, when, when they're doing this, they're sharing the gospel, right? So, okay, could you read this yet? Yeah, you know, Jesus is, you know, so they're uh, sharing the gospel uh, as people are in line waiting and in their reading and so on. And so uh, we're going to be uh, doing leadership training, uh, doing eyeglass ministry, visiting these construction sites, visiting the water wells. And so uh, you can see we've got a team here, uh, seven people. Uh, the guy that's all painted up, he's not getting ready for Africa. Uh, we took this picture Wednesday night during our wildlife tournament series. And so he's one of the leaders uh, of that. And so uh, there, there you go. So uh, Brian Moorhead, uh, our pastor of Global Ministries and Life Groups, is going to be leading that. And so uh, we want to pray for them right now, right? So would you join me in prayer right now? Let's pray for that team. God, we just thank you for the work of your gospel that's going on all over the globe and that we get a chance to be a part of that. And we pray for this team going out to Liberia. We pray for Brian. We pray for the whole team. We just pray, first of all, for safety, getting there and getting back. We pray, uh, secondly, for health, that they would be strong. But most of all, we pray your spirit would be upon them and empower them to share uh, your truth in powerful ways to help these pastors grow and expand their church planning efforts. We pray for the eyeglass ministry. They'd be able to serve as your hands and feet, uh, poor people who don't even, can't even see because they don't have glasses, and in the process, sharing the gospel of Jesus will give them hope forever. And so, Lord, we pray that as we visit the water wells that we help plant in these communities, there's two new churches, we just pray that you would lead every step of this journey, and that your blessing would go with this team. We pray it in Jesus' name, Uh, amen. All right, so we're going to be taking a quick break here. Time to turn your cell phones off, stand up, uh, uh, greet one another around you, and I'll get ready to teach.
I can't remember if I introduced myself, but I'm, uh, I am Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so I want to welcome you for the very first time. Uh, inside of our program is a message note sheet. And we're going to use that for a time of teaching. We do this every week at this time. So you're going to pull that out. That'll help you follow along. And if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and continue this uh, study as we study your life uh, and, and your teaching. Uh, and we are just excited about what you're going to do, what you're going to say. And we pray that you would speak powerfully. I pray you'd strengthen me in my voice. I pray for great clarity as I teach, for passion, uh, that communicate well your, your, your word. And I pray, Lord, that most importantly, your spirit would come and interpret to each of us what message we need to hear and apply it to our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now uh, uh, for uh, a long time on the life and teaching of Jesus. It's called Jesus, uh, the Crucified King. And so this is actually the third series uh, in a trilogy of series on the life and teaching of Jesus, Jesus based on the gospel of Mark. And so uh, in this series, this third and final series, we've watched as Jesus has come into Jerusalem the very last time. Uh, it's the last week of his life. His disciples don't realize that, but it's the last week of his life. And he has begun to reveal himself, his true identity, as the king and Messiah of Israel in some new bold and provocative and yet at the same time subtle ways. And so this is bringing him into increasing conflict with the uh, religious and political leaders of the day who see him as a threat to their authority. And so we've watched the last few weeks. What happens is this early in the week, it's like Tuesday or Wednesday, every morning Jesus is coming in from Bethany, which is two miles outside of town, to, uh, outside of the city of Jerusalem, uh, travels uh, down the Mount of Olives up the Kedron Valley, uh, and then into the city, and he teaches at the huge temple complex, about 35 acres. And so what we've seen as the last, uh, the last uh, five messages is that what's going on is that the religious and political leaders, they're looking for a way to undercut his ministry. They're looking for a way to cause him to lose popularity with the crowd or to get in trouble with the Roman officials. And so what they're doing is they're sending different teams of different religious groups to, uh, to ask him really tough questions that hopefully will get him into trouble. And so uh, the last five weeks, we've watched as each of these groups has come, thrown out their question. He's answered their question. Well, he's done answering their questions. And so today, the best we can tell is still Tuesday or Wednesday. And, and now he's going to go on the offensive. And he's going to ask his own question. And the question he's going to ask today has to do with kind of the nature, the identity, the calling of the Messiah, which is a huge, big topic in their day. And of course, this was the big topic on the table. Is Jesus claiming to be Messiah? Or is he not claiming to be the Messiah? And so he wants to ask him a question that will help them to reshape uh, kind of their view of Messiah. And so before we jump into that uh, question, I want to spend just a couple minutes and talk about this concept of Messiah. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the Messiah, Great Expectations. And so let's just talk about this. You may be familiar, maybe new to you, but uh, this concept of a Messiah went back at least a thousand years in time before Jesus. Uh, the prophet Nathan had once come to King David a thousand years before uh, Jesus, and he had promised him that God gave him a promise that one day from his line that he would have a descendant, a son who would rule the nation forever, right? And so, so they, this began to be known as the Messiah. And so in the, in the subsequent, the next few hundred years, 
uh, the different prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the different prophets, they begin to fill in details about who this, prophet, who this Messiah would be, how you'd recognize him when he'd come. But when, when the time came, it was still very sketchy. When, when the time came uh, for Jesus to come, it was still, there was a lot of details that were not clear. And as a result, at the time of Jesus, there were many different theories about who the Messiah would be, what he'd look like, what he would do. Uh, for example, there was even one theory that you would have, uh, that there would be two messiahs. There would be like a priestly messiah and a kingly messiah. So there wasn't consensus. But the, for, for most people, if you ask the average man in the street, the most popular opinion was that when Messiah came, like you were talking, say, at Starbucks, you're having a Messiah discussion. Most people believe that when Messiah came, that he would be basically like King David version 2.0. Okay, that he would be like a software upgrade of King David. He would be a human being empowered by God and he would restore the nation of Israel to power and he would raise it to a place of unprecedented power and peace and prosperity. And so uh, Jesus today is gonna ask a question about the Messiah and what he's gonna do is challenge that prevailing thought, right? And so it's not that he's gonna disagree with it, but he's just gonna challenge it in a way that's gonna cause him to start to rethink who the Messiah is just by asking the question. He's not gonna answer the question, he's just gonna ask the question that's gonna get them to start thinking that the Messiah may be more than what they think he is as son of David, all right? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 12. There in your note sheet is a section called the Messiah, uh, the question. And so let's take a look at this question that he asked them. So chapter 12, uh, verse 35 so while Jesus was, in the was teaching in the temple, uh, so he's still there, large temple complex, 35 acres, uh, and he says, and, and, and here's a question. They've had their turn to ask him questions, now it's his turn, and he says, hey, I've got a question for you. I've been thinking about this. Uh, how is it that the teachers of the law, and so this would be the, the kind of professional Bible students, right? This would be like the rabbis, the spiritual leaders. Uh, this would be what we call the scribes, some Bibles call them. People that spend their lives studying the Old Testament, the law of Moses, kind of the, the experts. He says, how is it that the teachers of the law, that they say that the Christ, and, and what does the word Christ mean? Messiah. Uh, right. So remember this. Uh, the word, uh, the word Messiah in Hebrew is the word Mashiach, okay? And it means literally the anointed one. Because when, when the kings would take the throne, they'd be anointed as a sign of their special anointing from God. And so the ultimate king that would one day come became known as the, the, the anointed one, uh, Hamashiach, the Messiah, right? And so when you translate the anointed one into Greek, what you get is the word Christos, Okay, which is where we get Christ from. So Mashiach, Christos, Hebrew and Greek, same thing, the anointed one, the great king, the Messiah, all right? So whenever you see the word Christ, you need to think in terms of title, not last name. And so, so it says, how is it these teachers of the law, the experts, they say the Messiah is the son of David. And so what he's gonna ask is like, hey, hey, everyone knows, everyone teaches, and all your teachers, they all tell you that the Messiah is the son of David. This was kind of commonly accepted, that the average person is what they thought. Uh, Jesus agreed with this, by the way, but he says, he, says, he just wants to expand their borders a little bit. So he says, how is it, the experts of the law, they, they say the Messiah will be the son of David. 
okay? And now he's gonna introduce a scripture. It's a scripture from the Old Testament. The scripture is Psalm 110. It's a, a very famous psalm. It's a messianic psalm about the coming of Messiah. And it's written by King David. And so he says, uh, he quotes this verse. He says, David himself, uh, speaking by the Holy Spirit, in other words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So uh, uh, Jesus believed all scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe that. And so he says, uh, David, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, he declared, and now he quotes Psalm 110, verse one. So here's what the, ver- the verse says. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So he's quoting this passage, right? So he says, so David, uh, looking off in the future, he sees this scene between these two lords. He says, and the one Lord says to the other Lord, uh, sit at my right hand until I defeat all of your enemies that are under your feet and you can rule, all right? Now here's the thing, in the English translation there, the two Lords look exactly the same, don't they? They're both capital L Lords. If you were to turn back to Psalm 110, which we're not gonna do right now, but if you were to turn back there, what you would find is the first Lord is all caps, Right? And so we know that, right? We, what does that mean? When, in the Old Testament, all caps, Lord means what? Yahweh, the God of Israel, right? And so, so uh, in the Hebrew, what it says is the Lord Yahweh, God of the nation, uh, Yahweh is having a conversation. The, the Lord Yahweh says to David, David says, to my Lord. That second word in Hebrew is the word Adonai. And Adonai can mean Lord, it can mean Sir, it can mean Master, it can mean God, depending on the context. In this context, which is a messianic psalm, it's referring to the Messiah. Okay, so David says, hey, uh, the Spirit's inspiring me to write, he's looking into the future, and he's, he's describing this conversation when Yahweh is talking to a person, the Messiah, that David calls my Lord. And he says, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, Messiah, sit here at my right hand of power until I bring all of your enemies under your control so you can rule over all of creation. Okay? So, 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 uh, so David is looking out in the future, he sees this conversation. And so David, so Jesus says, okay, so he says, here's my question. You all know that scripture, you're all familiar with that scripture, we all know it's a Messiah scripture, we all believe Messiah is the son of God, uh, son of David. He says, but, he says, here's my question. Verse 27, David himself, King David, calls him Lord. In other words, the second, the second, he actually calls him my Lord. He says, David calls the Messiah, uh, that we all believe is the son of David, he calls him my Lord. So, are you following this? King David, refers to the person who's supposedly his son as my Lord, my superior, my king. Now in Jewish culture, a father is always more respected than the son. So a father would never refer to his son as my Lord. And so Jesus' question is, David himself calls him my Lord, how then can he be his son? Right? So it's kind of like Jesus kind of playing dumb here. He's like, hey, 
just, I've been thinking, I got a question for you. I mean, you guys are the experts. Got a question for you. I mean, we all know, you know, the Messiah, son of, son of David. Yeah, I get that and all. But, you know, I was just reading the other day in this Messianic Psalm where Yahweh is saying to the Messiah, uh, uh, and David's writing of this conversation he hears, and David says, he overhears this, that Yahweh says to my Lord. That's just really weird. That's really weird. Like, like if he's the son of David, like if David's the father, how can he be calling him my Lord, my king? That's just really weird. What do you guys think? Everyone's like, uh. (laughs) And so they're baffled. So so they've asked him, we've seen at least five questions, four of which were trick questions. He's answered their questions. He asked them one question, and they know what to say. Now, the people are loving this, right? Because these religious leaders are pompous, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're controlling, they're oppressive, they've got their nose in the air, they look down at everyone beneath them, and Jesus is making them look stupid. And they're loving this. And so it says, the large crowd listened to him with delight. This is awesome. All right? And so, so what Jesus is doing He's not answering his question. He's just asking it. Now, here's what, what Jesus is doing. is just raising the issue. Hey, maybe there's more to Messiah than meets the eye. Not that he's not the son of David, but he's, maybe he's more than that. Now, from our perspective, 21st century, looking back in the rearview mirror, we get this, right? Because we know now the Messiah was not just the son of David. He's the son of God. Well, that's quiet. Some of you are like, I don't know. Whose son? Joseph. No. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. He's not, he's not just the son of David. He's the son of God. So we, we know that, right? Historic. We know that, but they didn't know that. And it's interesting because as readers of the gospel of Mark, we've known this from day one. There in your note sheet is the very first verse how Mark introduced Jesus to us. What does it say? It says, the beginning of the gospel, this very first verse, the beginning of the gospel or good news about Jesus Christ, Christ is who? Messiah. About Jesus the Messiah, who is the Son of God. And so from the very first verse, Mark says, let me tell you a story about a man. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of David. Yes, but more than that, he's Son of God. And really, the whole gospel of Mark is designed to prove that he's both the son of David and the son of God. He's going to lay out the evidence. So as readers, we, we know this. But remember, back then, this, on this Tuesday or Wednesday, when Jesus is asking the question, no one gets this. Not even his disciples. His disciples know that he's Messiah, but they think Messiah means King David 2.0. You see? And so all Jesus is doing is he's like taking a spade, he's digging up the ground, he's planting some seeds of truth that are not going to come to fruition and full bloom until after his death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit. He's just asking, hey, just wondering, just want to get you thinking, maybe your concept of the Messiah is too small. You see? Maybe there's more to Messiah than meets the eye. All right? Now, here's what I want to do. In our time together, I want to do a couple things. 
First of all, I want to start by just laying a couple groundwork principles that flow out of this passage about who Messiah is, about who Jesus is, and we're just going to lay some groundwork. And then we're going to come back and ask a couple questions for our life about what it means. If, if that's who Jesus is, what does it mean for our life to follow him? So there in your note sheet, you have a section it's called the Messiah, who is Jesus? So let's just jump in and, uh, and just kind of highlight a couple things that, that flood this passage. Number one, the first thing we want to say about Jesus is Jesus is more. Right? Jesus is more. And you say, more than what? More than you think. Right? He, he's more than meets the eye. And this is the whole point. The whole point why Jesus is asking this question, wait a second, I'm a little bit cloudy here, not so sure. Uh, we all believe that the Messiah is David's son, but if that's, that's really weird because if he's his son, why does he, David, call him my Lord? Like all he's trying to do is to get them to expand their view of Messiah and say, well, that's really true. That's what the Bible says. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's more to meets the eye. Right? All he's doing is planting some seeds. They're not going to come to full bloom until after his death and resurrection, after the coming of the Spirit, and they have some time to reflect on who Jesus really was. But what we see in the New Testament is you, you see this, these seeds that Jesus plants this day, you see them coming to full bloom. And so as we move out in the New Testament, for example, we come to the Gospel of John. Now, remember this, the Apostle John was there that day. When Jesus asked the question, why does he say this? John was there. John didn't know the answer. John thought Messiah was David 2.0. That's what he thought. Okay, but now we're jumping to the end of John's life. John writes the very last gospel in our New Testament, probably in the 90s, probably about 60 years after the life and death of, of Jesus, right? And so we saw how Mark starts his gospel the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Messiah, the Son of God. Let's see how John starts his story of Jesus, how he introduces Jesus to us. He says, in the beginning, there in your note sheet, in the beginning was the word, all right? He says, so, he says okay, let me tell you a story. He says, I want you to go back to the beginning of time. I don't care how far you want to go back. You believe in young earth, uh, creation, great. Let's go back 8,000 years. You believe in uh, uh, kind of scientific, kind of prevailing view. Let's go back 13.8 billion years. So go back as far as you want. You know, about 100 billion years, great. 200 billion, how far do you want to go back? Go back as far as you want to the start of our story. And he says, when you get there, there is already going to be a person. And that person, his name is what? The Word, the communicator the communication, the revelation. He says, so in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, so he's distinct from God, and the word was God, right? So he, the same, made of the same stuff, and so we've got the, the beginnings that we call the doctrine of the Trinity, the, the three in one God. And he said, and, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, made right? And so, so wait a second now. Uh, Let's, you know, let's talk about all things were made. Like, do you have any idea how much stuff that is? <laughs> like, like this week, you know, uh, I went to Wikipedia, which is the source of all truth. <laughs> after the Bible. And I asked the question, how big 
is the cosmos. How big is the universe? You know, the answer that comes back, the answer that comes back is, well, let's start with our Milky Way. Our Milky Way, which is like beyond me, right? Like we're just one little star system in the Milky Way. I mean, it's just huge, right? But that's one galaxy. According to the best researchers today, there's many researchers that believe the Milky Way is one of 500 billion galaxies and counting. Uh, so, so how big is the universe then? And, and according to the best estimates, the observable universe, that's like what we've seen so far, is 92 billion light years wide. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Have you ever seen the pictures from like the Hubble uh, Space Telescope? These incredible galaxies and stars, just the beauty, the brilliance, right? It's a lot of stuff. This is definitely an upgrade from David 2.0, right? We have moved into a different category. Like, like, do you see how John's view has changed over time? We'll come back to that later. Okay, let's go on further in the New Testament. Let's go to the Apostle Paul. Paul, he's actually writing much earlier than, than John. But remember, uh, but Paul, his view of Jesus is gonna change, isn't it? Like, like when he first hears about Jesus, he thinks Jesus is an imposter, he's a false messiah. And so Paul, uh, is going to do everything he can to destroy Christ followers. He's going to chase them around. He's going to knock down their doors. He's going to arrest them. He's going to beat them. And he's going to kill them. Right? And then he meets Jesus. And so his life changes. And so he goes from Jesus is a Galilean carpenter, uh, fraud, imposter, Messiah, of whom the first century had many. Uh, he goes from that to this. And so in Colossians chapter one, this is from the New Living Translation. He says, Christ, and remember Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, right? Messiah is the visible image of the invisible God. Just what, what John said, that there was a time and a place when the God who created all time and space entered into creation and became a part of the human race. That's why John, we, we didn't read the whole thing, but he went on to say the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This incredible claim that the God who created those galaxies, created this, this universe, 92 billion light years, that there was a time and place where he entered into time and space. That's the claim. And here is what Paul, uh, Paul agrees with him. He says that uh, Christ is the, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything and was created, and he's supreme over creation, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, all right? So, so Jesus is asking this question, uh, hey, let me ask you a question about Messiah. I've just been thinking about this, just wondering, uh, how become, if David's his father, he calls him his Lord? Doesn't answer the question, but just by asking the question, he's preparing them for the revelation that's going to come later. All right? So that's the first thing. Uh, Jesus is more. He's bigger than you think. Uh, number two, the second, and remember, these are foundational principles going to pave the way for uh, with the questions we're going to ask in a few minutes. The, the second, the second uh, thing that jumps out in this passage is that Jesus is Lord. 
Now, some of you are saying, duh. Uh, why did I come to church? Uh, but just hang with me here. Um, th- this is what David says, right? Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, and the quote is, the Lord, uh, Yahweh, says to my Lord, right? And so Jesus says, you know, the Messiah, uh, not only is he more, but he's Lord. And he goes back to this passage where all of creation is being brought under his leadership, right? We sit at my right my right hand, until Yahweh says, until I bring all your enemies in submission under your feet. That Jesus is not just more, he is Lord, right? He's, he's king of creation. Now, this is important because for us as modern day Christ followers, we do not use the word Lord in everyday conversation, right? We, we use the word Lord to refer to who? Jesus, right, or God, right? We, we talk about our Lord and our Lord and Savior, or we talk about my sweet Lord, or, you know, what are the songs said? I mean, we, we, uh, uh, we you know, we, we don't have Lords in our culture. Like, we don't talk about Lord Obama, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't have Lords. Uh, uh, now, in Britain, they still have Lords, right? You watch Downton Abbey, they have Lords. Uh, uh, they still have a house of Lords. We just call our senators, okay? So, uh, But so in our culture here, 21st century America, we do not use the word Lord, right? Uh, Maybe landlord, but that's about as close as we get. Uh, uh, So we don't use that word. And so when we hear the word Lord, we think of it as a spiritual word. We think it as a religious word. It is Lord Jesus. But here's what I want you to catch. In the ancient world, that was not true. In the ancient world, the word Lord meant ruler, meant king. It was a political term. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my feet until I conquer your enemies. You're going to be the great king. This is why uh, when Jesus finally left uh, uh, planet Earth, returned to his father, uh, remember what he said? to his disciples. Last thing, famous thing, great commission, but we've often missed this, where he says, uh, all what? Do you remember the next word? All, close, yes, power, it's, it's a word in the Greek, it can be translated, all authority, right? In Greek, it's exousia, all authority, all power. He says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What he's saying, as a result of my life and my death and my resurrection, I am now been made king of creation. I am king of the cosmos. And what he's saying is, as king of the universe, my order is to go out and spread the news that there's a new king in town. And to bring people under my leadership that they would become my disciples, my followers, you see? And so, so this was, so when the, when the early church said Jesus is Lord, that's not a spiritual statement. It's a military political statement that Jesus is king of creation, that what David predicted in Psalm 110 has happened. And that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that the father said to him, sit at my right hand 
until I make your enemies under your feet. And so what's happened is that Jesus is Lord of creation here and now. And you might say it doesn't look like it. And I get that. Because he, he has given permission to work out his plan in human history. Satan is still the God of this world. And, and he is giving that reign. There's a, there's a control factor there. But Satan is God of this world. Jesus has not yet taken his power and begun to reign. That will happen when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, it says that the kingdom of our Lord and God has become the kingdom of this earth because he's begun to reign. But make no mistake, Jesus is king of creation here and now. He is the Lord. He has a plan for your life, for our country, for the world, and nothing happens without his permission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And so when a Malaysian airliner goes down, he knows exactly where it is. When there's an invasion in the Ukraine, he knows what's going on, right? Like Jesus is king of, he is Lord, that is who he is. In fact, this is why this becomes the creed of the early church. The first creed of the early church, what it meant to be a Christian, is that Jesus is what? Lord. And you see this several places in the New Testament, like in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Why does he say no one can say that? Because that's what it meant to be a Christian. That's what he says. No one can say it and mean it. That Jesus is Lord without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit coming in their life, taking off the, the blinders and realizing who Jesus is and that he reigns. And this becomes what it means to be a Christian. For example, there in your note sheet, there's this great passage in Romans chapter 10. Remember, in the ancient world, the cry of the ancient world is Caesar is Lord. And what the Christian is saying, no, no, no. He may be Lord of the Roman Empire, but there is a Lord he reports to. And so they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. They'd say, no, Jesus is Lord. And, if you, and he's like, you say Caesar is Lord, or I'll kill you. Then go ahead and kill me because I'm not gonna lie. And so in Romans chapter 10, a very famous verse, many of you have memorized this verse as part of what we used to call the Roman road, you know? Roman, John, you know, Romans you know, 3.23 and 6.23 and kind of sharing the passage of salvation. But here's what Paul says, he says, if you confess with your mouth, and what he means here, you make public confession. It's a, a, a declaration of the truth of your life. I'm confessing, this is who I am. Like, like they'd say, Caesar is Lord, that's confessing who's Lord. Uh, for us as Christians, we confess something differently. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. There it is, the creed, first creed. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, you be believe the historicity, the biblical narrative of the life, the death, for our sins of Christ and his resurrection. This is shorthand. You know, believe in the resurrection. That, you know, because it's the resurrection that proves that what he said was true. He says, so, so if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Notice you come under his leadership. He is my Lord. He's the Lord of the universe. I come under his leadership. And I believe that he came, he lived, he died for my sins, and he rose again. He says, if you confess that and you believe this, you will be what? Saved. Saved. You see, this is a definition for what it means to be saved. 
It's what you believe, and it's how you respond to that reality. Jesus is Lord. I've responded to that reality. Here's my confession. I believe it is life, death, and resurrection for me, and I've come under that leadership. And Paul says, well, then you'll be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian, all right? Now, so, so let's go back. Big picture what Jesus is asking the question, hey, why does David call his son his Lord? He's not answering the question. He's just asking the question to begin to shake him up, begin to cause him to step back, rethink Messiah. Maybe there's more to Messiah than meets the eye. And all Jesus is planting some seeds in the ground that after the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit are going to blossom into full bloom, and we're going to understand that that Jesus is so much more than son of David. He's also son of God, right? Okay, so now the two questions. That's all all background. Now, so here we go. First question. (coughs) The first question is, who is Jesus to you? In this section, the Messiah rethinking Jesus, who is Jesus to you? Here's what I want to suggest. As we follow Jesus, Jesus should always get bigger. The longer we follow Jesus, the bigger, the brighter, the smarter, the more powerful Jesus should become. The whole whole reason Jesus is asking this question is to help them to begin to see he's more than they think. And so the question is, who is Jesus to you? And so as as you watch these first disciples... You watch this work out in their life. Like when uh, Peter, John, Andrew, Jane, when they first started following Jesus, uh, they they didn't know he was the Messiah. When they first started following Jesus, uh, most of them looked at Jesus as an amazing spiritual leader, incredible teacher. They'd never heard anything like it. And on top of that, he does these miracles. Obviously, God is with them. We want to be where he is because God is with them. And so, so God's on the move. He says the kingdom of God's coming. He didn't say he was the Messiah, the king. He just said the kingdom of God's coming. And so they want in on this. They want to be part of the kingdom. He's going to be the one telling them how to get there. So they're going to hang with Jesus. And so they leave everything to follow him, right? So that's their view of Jesus. Incredible teacher, miracle worker, maybe prophet. Then we watched as we got to chapter 8 in the gospel of Mark. And all of a sudden, uh, Jesus takes them on a field trip up to Caesarea Philippi, up in the north, pagan country. And he asks him this question, who do men say that I am? What's the word on the street? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter has this flash of insight, and he says, wow, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Like, like, wow, that's why you're doing all this stuff. Like, you're, you're not just announcing the kingdom of God. You are the king. Right? And so his, Jesus goes from being prophet, teacher, announcer to the king of the kingdom. His view of Jesus gets bigger. But it's still the wrong Messiah. It's still Messiah 2.0. It's still son of David. So it's not until after the death and resurrection and ascension and return of the, and the coming of the Spirit that all of a sudden Peter, James, John, Paul, they begin to see who Jesus is. He's not just the son of David, he's the son of God, he's the creator of the cosmos, he's God himself, he's invaded planet earth to reveal God to us, to rescue us, through his life, death, and resurrection we'll be saved, and he is the great king over all of creation. He is the Lord's Christ. And so as they grow, their, their view of Jesus grew, are you with me? It was here, 
He's a great teacher. It's here he's David 2.0, Messiah. It's here he's God in the flesh. You see? So over time, their view of Jesus changed and grew. Here's what I want you to catch. As Christ followers, if our view of Jesus today is the same view of Jesus five years ago, something is wrong. That every year, Jesus should be getting bigger, faster, smarter, wiser, right? It's kind of like, it's like a kid growing up in the White House. You know, it's like, like Chelsea Clinton. Like, there's no way a, a kid, you know, four years old, eight years old, they know their dad's the president. They don't really know what that means. It's not because they're older. They understand the responsibility, the power. He's the most powerful man in the world. It's that, that's going to come later. As they grow, their dad will grow. And it's the same with us. The longer we follow Jesus, the bigger Jesus should get. And this is so important, because I'll tell you what, the bigger Jesus gets, the smaller our problems get. And it works the opposite way. The smaller Jesus is, the bigger our problems become. And catch this, it's not just you and your measly little problems. No harm intended. Uh, It's not just me and my measly little problems. We're talking the problems of a culture. We're talking problems of uh, the church at large. We're talking about the problems of our country. We're talking about the problems of the world. The bigger Jesus gets, the smaller our problems are. Right? And catch this, the bigger Jesus gets, the greater our passion for Jesus grows. Because there is something, like the smarter he is, the wiser, the faster, the bigger, the more powerful, you cannot help but worship that. And so the bigger Jesus gets, the greater our passion, the greater our commitment, the greater our surrender, the greater our trust, because the bigger he is, the easier it is to trust him, right? And so the bigger Jesus gets, the more our life changes. And so the question I have is, how big is your Jesus, and where on that path are you? I, I have to be the first to admit, I feel like I'm a neophyte at this. Like, I go in and out of this whole who is Jesus thing. Like, I get glimpses sometimes, but I feel like I got a million miles to go. He is so much bigger than we could ever begin to understand. Are you talking about a universe being 500 billion galaxies? I mean, are you serious? Like, after a million, I'm done. (laughs) Like, a million, I'm like, a million, that's too big for me. I can't get a million, let alone a billion, let alone 500 billion. Jesus is kind of like that. He's bigger than that, right? And I can't even get him a man. And so as we grow, he should grow. Uh, Number two. So I think the question is, you know, if if Jesus is, is, uh, is is, if our view of Jesus is inadequate, we really need to go to him and say, would you expand my view? We we need to pray. And, And by the way, this is why we spend time in his word. It's why we come to church. It's why we spend time in prayer. It's why we go off and spend time in because we, in nature, we want to like expose to his bigness. Okay. Now, number two, the second question is, goes like this, is Jesus your Lord? And we've seen today that this is part of Jesus' core identity. 
that Jesus is David's Lord. And, and, and Jesus is trying to help us understand. So the question is, is he your, your, uh, your Lord? Now, uh, This is a challenge because often in Christian circles, we've really misunderstood this. Often in Christian circles, at least in my lifetime I've seen this, we've often presented this as like there's two Jesuses. There's Jesus as your Savior, and there's Jesus as your Lord. And you can kind of pick and choose like which Jesus you want to follow. Right? And so, so it's often presented like, well, you accept Jesus as your Savior. You don't have to accept him as your Lord. You can just kind of accept him as your Savior and get your, your free ticket to heaven. Just believe these certain things, you know, his life, death, and resurrection for you. But trust him for your salvation. You, you can kind of put off accepting him as your Lord. That's like the high package deal. Uh, this is kind of the entry-level program here that you can just accept. Now, if you really want to go serious with Jesus, like if you're a pastor, you probably should go the Lord route. Right? <laughs> Um, if you're going to be a missionary, you definitely, you need the Lord because you need some power going on there. But if you're just like an average person, average Christian, it's just really fine. It's fine just to do the do Jesus' Savior uh, uh, route. You don't really need to do the Jesus' Lord route. But the problem is there aren't two Jesuses. Like there's only one, and Jesus is Lord. It's who he is. This is his core identity, right? Like if you marry a cop... There's certain things that go with that. And it's not really fair, like two years in the marriage going, hey, I know you're a cop, but could you just ask not to go out on patrol anymore? It's like, I'm a cop. You marry a cop, if you want a relationship with a cop, then this is the price of having a relationship with a cop, right? Hey, I know that uh, when you got married, you're going to be a professional baseball player. And, and I, I get that. I love the money. That's been awesome. Um, <laughs> You know, and I think the uniform's really cute, and you look really awesome in that, but, um, you know, these games, these away games, they're getting in the way of our relationship. So could you just ask the coach if you could just stay home, not travel with the team? Right. Hey, if you marry a ball player, you marry the ball player. You're in a relationship with the ball, that's what goes with it. You marry a plumber, it doesn't work to say, you know what, I, hey, I love you, are working hard, you're making good money, you're providing for our family, it's just awesome, appreciate that, but these, I'm getting so tired of cleaning your dirty clothes. Um, I, I would could you just wear a suit to work and then keep it clean, because I can take it to the dry cleaner that way. Like, hey, when you choose to have a relationship with a person, you have to deal with the real person. You can't create them in your own image. And Jesus is Lord of creation. He is the king of kings. He is the ruler of all creation reports to him. And if you want a relationship with Jesus, you can't say, hey, Jesus, I, I really love this whole savior thing, but I'm not really into this Lord thing. Can we just kind of skip that part? Like, no, you can't. Now, here's the thing. Often as Christ followers, we start uh, our journey with Jesus, with Jesus as Savior, right? And this, uh, this is great. I love it. When my wife became a Christ follower, I, I love this. I, I love my wife. I love I get to be married to my wife. She's one of the greatest gifts of my life. 
But um, I, I love also, I get the story of her salvation because when she came to Jesus, uh, this is how it goes. She's at a retreat, fairly small retreat. The, the, guy, the guy's sharing there about Christ and the gospel, right? And here's her quote. She said, I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. All I knew is that I needed what he was talking about. So I went back and prayed for me to have what he was talking about. That's how she started her relation with Jesus. It was a true conversion. She didn't understand all about the sin. and the, it just, She just knew. I think he was talking about it. She just wasn't hearing that. Right? And you know, often when we start our relationship with Jesus, it's very basic. We don't have a clue who he is. We're just getting started. Right? And so often we start our relationship with Jesus as Savior. And we come to Jesus because someone shares the gospel with us. And they share with us that, that we are part of the human race. And we've all rebelled against God. We've all committed high treason against our true king. And there's a sentence of death over every one of our lives for rebellion. And there's nothing we can do to remove it. And yet God has come to rescue us in Christ his life for our life. He's died for us. And if we come into relationship with him, he will save us from the penalty for our sin. And we can start a new life and, and we can be forgiven. And, 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 we sh and when someone shares that message, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and says, that is the truth. I'm in trouble. I need a savior. And we ask Jesus, would you come and save me? And he does. And it's awesome. And the Holy Spirit comes in our life and we're born again and it's a whole new life and life will never be the same. And we love Jesus for what he does for us. Amen. And sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's like we, we, that we get the whole sin thing. Other times that's part of it. But we come to Jesus and our lives are screwed up. Our marriage is falling apart. We're addicted to drugs. We've got all kinds of relational issues. We just lost our job. And our life is a mess. And more than anything else, there is a hole in our heart that nothing else can fill. And we've tried to fill it with drugs. We've tried to fill it with sex. We've tried to fill it with toys. And, and, and we just, we're empty. And someone shares with us, the reason you're empty is because you are created with a God-sized hole in your heart. And nothing but God can fill that. And Jesus did it for me and he can do it for you. And you ask Jesus into your life and he saves you. He saves you from a meaningless life. He saves you from your boredom and your frustration. And he saves you from your emptiness. And the living water comes in and he's your savior, right? And as you walk with Jesus, it continues. And what you learn is that Jesus is not just a savior at the start of your journey, he's your savior every day, Amen. right? And he saves you not just from the penalty of your sins, he saves you from your sin. He saves you from the destructive habits, from the magnetic pole to the dark side. He changes you from the inside out. He teaches you to do out of relationships. He gives you new purpose and new meaning that he rescues you from your old life. Jesus is your savior. Like every day, like every day he's your, Jesus is my savior every day, every moment of the day. He saves me here, he saves me now. He's the life I breathe. He is my savior. Right? And here's what, that's how we start our relationship with Jesus, more often than not. We start because we have a problem and he saves us from it. Amen. It's a beautiful thing and it never ends.
And this is how the first century people followed Jesus. When you think through the gospel of Mark, what we've learned, why do people come to Jesus? He's an amazing teacher. Saves them from boredom, right? Uh, They come to Jesus because they have a a daughter who just died. They come to Jesus because they have leprosy and no one else can heal. They come because they've been bleeding for 12 years. They come because he feeds them free food. (laughs) And so, so that's how, in the first century, that's how most people became followers of Jesus. They came because what he does for them. But here's what I want you to catch. As we follow Jesus as our Savior, we, we begin to understand there's more to it than we first understood. We begin to understand Jesus is not just a Savior, He is Lord. And so Jesus comes into our life and He begins to speak to us about a variety of areas. And he begins to put his arm around us and say, hey, this area here, this whole sexuality thing here, and that's, that's really got to change. That's a destructive thing, and that's going to tear down your life. And I know it's a long-term habit, and I know you sleep with lots of people, and I know you got the porn thing going on, but that's destructive, and we're going to have to leave that behind because I've got a life for you, and it's amazing, and we're going to have to leave that. Or Jesus comes and he says, you know what? Uh, up to now, you've been over in charge of your finances, but now that you belong to me, everything you have belongs to me. And so you need to stop looking at yourself as an owner, start looking at yourself as a manager. And you need to bring everything you have and bring it under my leadership, and I'll, I'll teach you how to make it, I'll teach you how to spend it, I'll teach you how to give it, I'll teach you how to save it. And so, so Jesus said, okay, I want you to surrender that area. Or Jesus is going to say, hey, your marriage is all screwed up, and, and it's, you know, you're the reason why. So uh, <laughs> we're going we're to need to work on that, all right? So, so we're going to stop. You've been really harsh with your wife, and you've not really been sensitive to her needs, and you've not really loved her as you've loved yourself. And so I want you to love your wife as, as I've loved the church, as I've loved you. I want you to lay down your life, and I want you to begin to do marriage a different way. And so one by one, Jesus comes into our life, and he begins to say, hey, as Lord of your life, I need you to surrender. And that is often hard. If you've been sleeping with every girl you date, it's hard to stop sleeping with every girl you date. If you've been running your own money, it's hard to give your, give your money away. It's hard to trust him with that. If you have an anger issue and you love screaming at your wife, it's hard to stop screaming at your wife. These things are hard. They're not easy. They, they require a death. And we got to go to Jesus. We need to surrender to his leader. Say, you're right. I'm wrong. I need your help. Would you teach me that? And we surrender to his leadership. And here's the thing. Every time we surrender to his leadership, every death leads to a resurrection. And every time we listen and every time we surrender and every time we fight that battle and we come in, guess what? We're blessed. And the kingdom of God comes in fullness. See, every time you submit to the king, you get more of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, Paul says, Romans 4, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, it's righteousness, life the right way, it's righteousness, and it's joy, and it's peace in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, it says the kingdom of God is not consistent in words, but in power. And so every time you surrender to the king, even when it's hard, even requires death, it always leads to an expansion of the kingdom in your life, and kingdom power, and kingdom peace, and kingdom righteousness, and kingdom joy comes into your life every time. It may be incredibly painful to surrender, but once that surrender is done, resurrection, new life comes, and that's the way it works. And so we come to Jesus' as Savior, and then we begin to understand He's Lord. And as we surrender to His leadership and come under one area of another, we begin to rise with Him to a new life. And that's the way it should work. But here's the thing. 
For many people who start their journey with Jesus, when he begins to mess with their lives, they stop trusting him. And they stop following. And this is exactly what happened in the first century. We've watched this all through Mark. Crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger for the first eight chapters of Mark. And then Jesus, after he's revealed he is the Messiah, he begins to say, yeah, now let me tell you what that means. If you're going to follow me, you have to be ready to die with me. And what happened to the crowds? Uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, favorite accounts is in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The next day, the crowds are looking for him. They want more fruit, free food. And Jesus says to him, hey, you're, you're looking for me for the wrong reason. You're coming for the free food. You need to be searching for the food that endures to eternal life that the Son of God will give you. And he says, so, so let, let me tell you, here's what you need to do is you need to look at my relationship. It's totally different. But you need to enter into a new relationship that's very intimate and profound. It's mystical. It's like you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood and take me into you. And they're like, that's, that's really weird. And everyone leaves. John says everyone leaves. I like just kind of picture this. Levi's walking back into town. Hey, Levi, where you been? I was out with Jesus. Get some more food today? No, it was yesterday. I was, well, how are things going? Well, I'm not following him anymore. Well, why not? He's getting a little weird. <laughs> what do you mean? He's talking about eating his flesh. Oh, you kidding? Serious, yeah. Yeah, I used to think he was really cool. I thought he was so cool, the miracles, the teaching and all. But he's just a little out there. I'm beginning to wonder. He's a little bit, you know, whatever. He's just a little bit out there. Kind of crazy. Maybe he's got a demon. I'm not sure. But he's just a little crazy. I said, well, you're not going to follow him anymore? No, I'm done with that. It was cool while I lasted, but I'm done. Now, here's the thing. In the first century, it was really clear who was following and who's not. Because in the first century, like, you're following, and now you stop following. It was clear. Here's the problem. In our culture today, it's not clear. And what happens is people come to Jesus for salvation. They raise their hand at a meeting. They go forward at a harvest crusade. They put their name on the back of a card. They walk forward. They pray the sinner's prayer. They start this journey with Jesus, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus at some point begins to talk about, hey, you're sleeping with your girlfriend. Hey, this money issue, this relationship, this forgiveness issue, whatever. And he, and we, and like, oh, you mean you have to be in charge of my life? Oh, I didn't get that part. I don't think so. And here's the thing. Often, we will still go to church. We'll still call ourselves a Christ follower. We'll see ourselves as a Christ follower. And the reality is, we stopped following a long time ago. And we can't figure out why this Christian life isn't working. Why is my marriage so screwed up? Why don't I have any power in my life? Why the transformation? Why doesn't God ever speak to me? Why is the word so dead? Why is, you know, why, why am I not being changed? Why don't I have joy? Well, it's clear. Those are kingdom realities. And you only experience kingdom realities when you're under the leadership of the king. You stop following the king. You're not in the kingdom of God. You may go into church. You may be in a life group. You may claim his name, but you're not in the kingdom because you're not under the authority of the king. And the tremendous danger 
is self-deception. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, there in your note sheet, Jesus warns us about this. And in Matthew chapter 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Now, I want you to think about this. What Jesus is saying is there are many people who are going to come to him and say, hey, Lord, remember me? I'm Tom. Remember me? I'm Cindy. Remember me? I'm Heather. And Jesus is going to go, no, no, I don't remember you. Remember last week, I love when Dre talked about the, the movie Princess Bride, that word inconceivable. And he's like, yeah, I don't think you know what that word means. It's the same with the word Lord. We call him Lord. It's like, no, you don't know what that means. If he's Lord, you surrender your life. You surrender your body. You surrender your finances. You surrender your relationships. You surrender your pride. You surrender your forgiveness and your bitterness. That's what it means to be Lord. He says, many people will say, call me Lord, Lord. He says, but they will not enter the kingdom of God. And he says, catch this, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Wow. So two questions. Who is Jesus to you? Does your view of Jesus need to grow? As Christ, it should be growing every year. And, and along with it, our passion, our joy, and our commitment. And then, is Jesus your Lord? If you're a Christ follower, here's what should be happening. On a regular basis, God should be speaking into your life. Jesus, be, and he'll be calling you to new things. He'll be always calling you to new levels of surrender. So that the kingdom of God can come in power in your life on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and just the power, the clarity, the strength. And and Lord Jesus, we refer to you as our Lord because because you truly are. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I just want to ask you today, real quickly, as we wrap up this service, I want to ask you something. Uh, As a follower of Jesus, are there any areas of your life that the Holy Spirit's speaking, not that you're just making up, the Holy Spirit's speaking and saying, you know what, you're, you're living in disobedience. And you call me Lord and I'm not. And you think you're part of my kingdom and you're not. And that you need to surrender, just knowing that Jesus loves you so much. He's come to rescue, but he cannot rescue you if you'll not surrender to his lordship. And, and if so, it is, today is a great time to let it go and say, yes, Lord. And begin to experience kingdom power in your life again. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you want to be. You need a savior and you need a savior from your sin and you need a savior from your emptiness and you want to start this journey with Jesus. And you're ready to give him control of your life and just ask him in and to save you. And and I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer. This expresses the desire of your heart. I just ask you to pray along with me in your heart and your mind. He will hear So I'm going to pray right now. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. (coughs) I pray you forgive me for all my sin and rebellion. You give me the gift of forgiveness. I also pray for the gift of your spirit, that he would come to lead me, teach me, and change me from the inside out. 
and teach me how to follow you both now and forever. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer, I wanna welcome you to his kingdom. And, and the back of your, inside your program is a little card called the Connect Card. And I'd like you just to fill it out the front and then write me a note in the back saying, Mike, I prayed the prayer. And we'll know what that means. And we'll send you a letter this week of just here's some next steps in your journey with Jesus. So Lord, we come now as your church. We come under your lordship. We pray that we would be a church that's fully submitted to your leadership, that we might thrive, that we might live a new life you've called us to live. And we pray now that as we come, we would exalt you. And as we worship, as we bring our offerings, as we exalt you as the son of God, that we would appreciate, we would understand and appreciate that new, a new level. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And Lord, we do come today just to worship you. And today, maybe we just got a little bit of glimpse of how big you are, at least bigger than 500 billion galaxies. And Lord, we just pray that you continue to expand our vision of you because as you get big, our problems get small, our worship increases, our commitment deepens, our passions ignited. So we pray, Lord, that this question that you asked of who is David's son and how could he be called David's son if, if, uh, if he's the Messiah, uh, if David's his father? We pray that that would question would unleash a journey in our life, that we would ask in just new ways, who is Jesus to me? And that as we do, we pray your spirit would come and reveal Jesus in a little bit more of his glory and power. We know it's a lifelong thing. We'll know we'll never get it right until we're there with you. But Lord, we just pray you'd blow our minds. We pray you'd expand our vision. We pray you'd deepen our heart and our compassion. And we pray that in all things, you would be Lord, that we would be surrendered, that the kingdom of God might come in our lives, at this church, in this community. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that would start with us. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Hey, just want to re remind you that as we, uh, as we take off, whether you're uh, here in uh, this venue or over in our uh, live video venue, that to my right, in both of the venues, uh, we always have a ministry called our Prayer Corner, Prayer Connection. If you would like prayer about anything, maybe you made a commitment to Christ today and you want to declare that, confess that, Jesus is your Lord now. Maybe it could be about anything. Head over there. We've got a great team that would love to pray for you. Uh, whatever, just pray with you and whatever you're praying with. Until next week. Uh, next week, by the way, I'm looking forward to. Uh, Jesus next week comes on strong. It's probably his strongest teaching uh, in all of uh, his life. Uh, he just lowers the boom on these religious leaders. Uh, he's been dealing with them for years, and he just calls them out. Uh, words like hypocrites, snakes, vipers, uh, it's just all coming out. Uh, and so Jesus is going to take him to task, but in the process, uh, it's a great lesson about leadership, leadership at every level. Maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a dad, maybe you're a husband, maybe uh, you, you lead a life group, you lead a, a kids ministry, student ministry, you lead a business, you're in public uh, uh, office, you lead a department. Uh, it's a tremendous lesson on leadership. And so next week, we're going to roll up our sleeves, watch as Jesus uh, kind of confronts them, and we're going to learn together what it means to lead well. Sound good? So next week, we'll be back, same time, same place.
place, except it'll feel an hour later. So uh, until then, may the Lord be with you. May he be truly your Lord this week. May the kingdom of God come in power as you surrender to his lordship. As you surrender and die with him to your old life, rise with him to a new life, a new life of resurrection power, that you might experience the kingdom of God, righteousness, joy, and peace, power in the Holy Spirit. That's what he came to give us. That's what he calls us to unleash. And it happens as we surrender to his lordship. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.